This is a reminder you're listening to the delayed broadcast here on Faith FM. If you would like to listen to the live show live and participate in the quiz and the prizes and all the other fun things that happen on Faith FM Breakfast Show, then simply download the Faith FM app available on Apple or Android platforms. This is time to get stuck into your Bible study. We have another clue for our quiz before we get into it. We do indeed. Okay, so this is our fourth clue this morning. The name of this book means to cry out loud. So think about that. What book in the Bible means to cry out loud? If you know what the answer to that clue is and all the other clues, and you can give us a give us a call at 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. Or you can send us a text at 0491-064-669. And if you're the first person this morning to have the correct answer, we will be sending you a copy of The Incredible Power of Prayer by Roger Mornow. We will indeed. And, of course, I guess another way of stating that would be, and this is a bit of an extension to that clue, because this is a little bit of a tough one, is you could say it simply means to cry. It does, yeah. I think they've added the cry out loud in there to kind of maybe make it just that tad more obscure, but I would say it simply means to cry. Yeah, yeah. So if somebody asked me what does this word mean, I would say it means that that person who is doing that is crying. All right, being very, 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 very Cluey here this morning with lots of clues coming out. Okay, so we need to remind you that this Saturday morning, of course, between 9.30 and 10.30, Matt Parra and myself right here on Faith FM Small Group Bible Study Interactive happening here. Had a bunch of people calling through on the weekend. was fantastic having their say and just sharing some of what the Bible has to say. And that, of course, is we'll continue while ever the pandemic lockdown continues. While ever churches are closed, we will be here to provide you with interactive small group Bible study on a Saturday morning. Now, also, there, there's actually one other thing that I'd like to, to add yes. to that is that if you really miss seeing people and you miss, uh, you know, it's it's you want a little yeah. bit more. You yeah. want a little bit more than just listening, but also a bit of a visual. Uh, we've also got on, on Facebook, we've got a, a live stream of the Bible study. So if you'd like to interact that way, then we, we could strongly encourage you to head to the North New South Wales uh, Conference Advent, uh, Adventist uh, Facebook page and you can watch the Bible study as well. That indeed you can. Let's go to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. And we're going to read a bit of a passage here, beginning in verse 36. And today we're going to be talking about presuppositions. Presuppositions. Something that, of course, I don't have. No. Never had. No. Never, never ever had a presupposition in coming to the Bible, right? No. No, no. Absolutely above that. I Better than the disciples right there. Yes. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Bit of a humble brag right there. <laughs> uh, let he that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. The reality is and the fact is that every single one of us have presuppositions. Absolutely. And they can get you into all kinds of trouble. Oh, yes. Let's go to Luke 24 verse okay. 36. It says, And just as they were telling about it, uh, yeah, and just as they, and I'm getting, okay, I've got it now. And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened? He asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? 
Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I am not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. As he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. Still, they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. Then he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he ate it as they watched. Then he said, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. How would you feel sitting inside a group of, sitting in a room full of say 120 people thereabouts, you're the only one that's eating and everybody is watching you eat? I, uh... Please put yourself in those shoes for a second. How would that feel? Look, if, if I was... I feel a little weird. weird, weird. I would feel weird. Um, or, or you could look at it as, as sort of you're there for them. Like I, I, When I was at school, I did drama. So I like to dramatise lots of things. So if I were to do that and, and I were put in that position, I would probably dramatise it and make the break most the, of it. Break the tension by dramatising. Break the tension. And I would really, you know, over-exaggerate, make sure that, you know, so that's what I would do personally. I would, I would, to be more comfortable with the situation, I would adapt it. Um, okay, so we've got Jesus here. He's sitting in the middle of a group of people and he's eating. And I just sort of, you know, I put myself in that room sometimes and it's kind of like, you know, we're all just standing around staring at this guy doing the most ordinary thing ever and that is eating food and sort of, how would you feel? It's like, I'm just eating, guys. It's all I'm doing. Okay, now this is, this is a fascinating story. Why was it that the priests put a Roman guard on the tomb? I think they were scared. Why were they? They scared? were scared that all the things that Jesus had said and the disciples had said, had said were true. Why and, did they? And they why didn't did they, want it to be true? Why did they put the guard on the tomb for three days? They wanted to because Jesus uh, Jesus prophesied that on the third day he would rise. He would rise. Okay, so the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders know that Jesus prophesied that he would rise in three days. So they put the guard on the tomb for three days, right? Yes, indeed. Then three days later, Jesus... Okay, so, so we'll let, let's, let's leave that there for a moment. Did they believe in Jesus? Like that he existed or that, that he was the Messiah? Messiah. I don't think so. Okay, so they did not believe that he was the Messiah. So then they did not believe the words that Jesus is saying, right? No. So they don't believe the words that Jesus is saying. Yet. Yet they put a guard on the tomb for three days because they know that he prophesied that he would rise in three days' time. What about the disciples? Did the disciples believe in Jesus? I think they did. However, obviously, as we've seen through this, this passage... There's kind of limitations here, isn't there? They, they doubted. Okay, so they believe in Jesus. They believe what he says. They stand by Jesus. They defend Jesus. They say, yes, Jesus is the Messiah. They go and preach, you know, the kingdom of God has come and all this kind of stuff. They have been sharing it all over the world that he is the Messiah and that his prophecies come true. And yet... When his prophecies do come true, or this particular prophecy in, in particular, they don't believe. They doubt. Okay, so first of all, they have the testimony of Mary and the women. Yes. Who say the tomb is empty, Jesus has risen. Mary's like, I've met him, I've seen we him. We have seen him. Then you've got the testimony of Peter. Yep. Then you've got the testimony of Cleopas and his friend. 
So all day long on the third day on Sunday, they're being the told evidence is yeah. mounting and mounting and mounting. So Indeed. there's an increasing amount of evidence. Plus, they have the prophecy yeah. that Jesus would rise on the third day. They do indeed. They don't need anything more than that prophecy. And so they have this prophecy. And then when the prophecy is fulfilled, it's like, oh, no, it couldn't possibly be the prophecy fulfilled. You know, Mary Magdalene couldn't be right. You know, oh, uh, Peter couldn't be right. You know, uh, couldn't possibly, the, the prophecy couldn't possibly be fulfilled. Cleopas and his friend, like, they just spent three hours with Jesus having a Bible study on the road to Emmaus. And. Nah, couldn't be real. Couldn't be real. Surely we couldn't believe his prophecy, even though these are the ones who believe. Again, they're doubting. The Pharisees believed enough to put a Roman guard on the tomb. They don't believe enough when they have multiple eyewitness testimony of what has taken place. And then Jesus arrives. They can see him for themselves. There's, you know, maybe 120 of them. The Bible talks about later on there was 120 people in that upper room. And they still do not believe. They are still disbelieving even when they have their own eyewitness testimony that Jesus is right there. I mean, I know a lot of people looked very similar back in the day. But surely, yeah, but they're stretching it a bit. But that is very stretching it. And uh, yeah, look, I just... In okay, saying so that, Jesus, though, Jesus then talks to them. In saying that, they have, look at it this way. If you were in their position, what would you think? Would you doubt or would you... Well, I don't have presupposition, so of course I wouldn't have doubted. <laughs> <laughs> you know how this goes. I do indeed. <laughs> we, all, we, we all look at this story and think, those silly disciples, but would we have been any different? Okay, so then, then let's just continue on from, through from there. He appears. They still don't believe. No. They think he's a ghost. They're scared, which would be very scary. Yes. Um, he speaks to them. And he says, look, um, feel me, my hands, my feet. There's scars here. Um, I'm not a spirit. And they're just standing there. They're not saying anything. They're just standing around. Nobody is saying anything. They're like, what on earth is going on? Their brains are just melting out of their ears at this particular point trying to figure it out. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Okay, so they've got this, you know, you've got this whole situation going here where, you know, they're super confused about it. And it's like, yeah, what what actually is is is, is happening? And then, uh, of course, if we continue reading from there, he asks for some food, and a whole bunch of them would be like, why why would he want food? But this is a really good way of illustrating, hey, I'm not a ghost. No. Okay, so there's a bunch of different things that we need to think about here, and the first one, of course, is the big issue of presuppositions. We need to stop and think about presuppositions because presuppositions will get us into trouble all the time. Indeed. And these guys had such a massive presupposition that they were completely unable to believe the resurrection of Jesus when they had multiple evidences of it, even when their own eyes were telling, even when their own senses were telling them that Jesus had come from the dead, they were still disbelieving it because they were hanging to their presupposition over and above the evidence of their senses. That just goes to illustrate how powerful a presupposition can be. Okay, so let's think about this then for a moment. What was the presupposition that they had that blocked them from understanding that Jesus had risen from the dead? I think that, you know, this was the first time that it happened in, in the world. And 
it, look, they, they, they just, they, they, I reckon they were influenced by the, uh, the, the. Well, they've seen, they've seen multiple resurrections from the dead. Themselves, they have, and one very recently, Lazarus. They have. I, I, I fear, fear. Um, you know, I reckon they were certainly influenced by the Jews and the and the the, the Romans and the politicians. Um, I think that, yeah, just doubt that they didn't really want this thing to be true. Or I don't know if they. I'm sure they did want it to be true, but maybe they thought that this was something that was far, far too amazing to be true. That they thought that this would just. Yeah, that this could. Yeah, I don't know. Look, I don't know. I wasn't there, but I certainly think that there was something else at play. Okay, so let's work our way through this. Did they have any expectation? Did they have a presupposition that Jesus was going to die? Yes. Oh, well, do you mean before Jesus died? No. What was their expectation for they, Jesus? They thought that he was going to live, he was going to be the Messiah, he was going to continue to be with them and walk through them forever on their journey with him. And what role did they expect him to play in Jewish society in the future? The king, the king of the Jews. Yeah, that's right. They, they expected that he was going to be the next world emperor, yeah. that the Jews would be, would be uh, he would lead the uh, Jewish empire, that he would throw off the Romans, that the Roman empire would be replaced by the Jewish empire, it would break, bring great glory to the... Uh, Jewish nation that they would become the center of the world that everybody would be looking to Jerusalem rather than Rome um, all roads would lead to Jerusalem rather than Rome and <laughs> so as a result of that you know this was this was what they were looking forward to and this was because you know for a very very long time the prophecies in relationship to the Messiah had been misinterpreted by the Jewish people indeed and so because this was stuck in their heads the last thing that they ever ever thought of was a suffering, dying, sacrifice Messiah. Yeah. Even though there are multiple prophecies in the Bible that speak about, you know, Isaiah chapter 53 is a classic one that speaks about the suffering and the death and the substitutionary aspect of what Jesus would do being the substitute for us and paying the penalty for our sins. They saw this as, you know, they, they, did, they discounted those prophecies in favor of those prophecies that were dealing with things that they kind of they really did want to hear. Yeah. They wanted to have a Messiah who would be powerful. They wanted to have a Messiah who would bring prominence to them and to the Jewish nation. And of course, you know, you've got this interesting situation here where you've got a bunch of peasants that are followers of Jesus. You know, these kind of like your uh, you know, just your your average generous redneck or bogan or whatever who is who Jesus has chosen to be his disciples. He's he's overlooked the highly educated class. Uh, he hasn't included anybody there that's got significant education other than Judas, who the disciples have sort of invited to be a part of it. And they're all talking about who's going to be greatest in this earthly kingdom. You know, so they've got these expectations like, yeah, you know what, I used to be a fisherman, but one day I'm going to be prime minister of the world indeed and they see that as being a big thing and see that as being something that is exciting and they completely miss everything that jesus says because jesus multiple times talks about his death his burial his resurrection he goes through it in significant detail he talks about how that he will be resurrected after three days peter opposes him and says no lord that's not going to be how it's going to be don't don't say this kind of stuff and Jesus t turns around and calls Peter Satan. 
Yeah, it's pretty strong language. I don't know how you would feel if somebody called you Satan. I would feel pretty gutted if somebody called me Satan. But if, if Jesus called me Satan, what, ooh, what would you think then? Ouch. That's... You know, I would, at that particular point, I would stop and think, you know what, what have I been saying really that is so your, wrong? You'd really evaluate your life choices. And so then you would go back and you'd say, all right, well, what did Jesus just say? Well, Jesus just said that he would die and raise against the third day. And so therefore to oppose that is to do the work of Satan. Therefore, I need to be supporting the idea that Jesus will die and rise again on the third day. But that's not where Peter's mind goes. Peter just shuts up. He just clams down. He's like, well, if he's going to call me Satan, then I guess, you know, just like, well, okay. But he refuses to accept that Jesus is going to die and rise on the third day. Even when it happens, he refuses to accept it. And the reason that I'm kind of laboring this particular point here is to illustrate just how powerful presuppositions can be in our understanding of the Bible. So another big example of this, and of course, you know, this, this particular one created the greatest disappointment our world has ever seen. <clears throat> another example of it would be the great disappointment, because this is the great disappointment of AD 31. The great disappointment of um, 1844 was quite similar in many ways because they had a presupposition back then. Christians had a presupposition that the earth was God's sanctuary. And so if God was going to cleanse the sanctuary, then that means... But then that meant that God was coming to this earth. And if God was coming to this earth, then that had to be the second coming. And so if the cleansing of the sanctuary was going to take place in 1844, which the Bible says in Daniel chapter 8 and verse 14, then surely that must be the second coming. And so they clung to that doctrine until 1844 passed. Some of them even kept looking for new dates, like, oh, we've made a mistake somewhere. How do we, how do we resolve this mistake? Because they had such a strong presupposition, even when the Bible is so clear that there's a sanctuary in heaven. You know, you've got 100 verses, 100 references, I should say, over 100 references in just the 22 chapters of Revelation to the heavenly sanctuary. You've got a whole section on it in Hebrews chapter 8, you know, your first five verses of Hebrews chapter 8. Great detail on the heavenly sanctuary. And nobody figured out that the heavenly sanctuary was going to be cleansed. And they're all looking for the cleansing of the earthly sanctuary. And as a result of that, there was a great disappointment that took place. Now, God, of course, was using it in both situations in exactly the same way. You see, in the great disappointment of AD 31, God was using that disappointment to cleanse and to purify his church. So if you think about the lead up to this event, you've got you know, thousands and thousands of followers of Jesus proclaiming him, Hosanna as the son of David, just a few days beforehand. They are all looking forward to... You know, Jesus as the Messiah, they're proclaiming him as the Messiah. A few days later when Jesus dies, they all kind of shrug their shoulders and go home and we're like, well, we were a bit silly, weren't we? And so what God needed was to blow away all of the chaff, all of the worthless, you know, uh, rubbish that had accumulated around his new movement. And he needed to build a foundation of people who actually truly believed that he was the Messiah. 
Because when Jesus dies, they're not going to be the ones who are going to just sort of wander off, shrug their shoulders and go, well, we were a bit silly the other day, you know, proclaiming him, you know, Hosanna to the son of David. They're going to be the ones who are deeply, deeply gutted. They're going to be the ones that are going to draw together. They're going to be the ones that are going to try and figure out what is going on. And they're the people that God can work with. You've got exactly the same thing happening in AD 1844. You've got a group of people there who, you know, thousands of people, yes, Jesus is coming in 1844. October 22 comes and goes. Most of them breathe a collective sigh of relief. And we're going to talk more about that and the parallels involved in it after we listen to Kemi Ogendi with Here to Stay. Oh, I am here to stay. 
That was Cameo Gandhi with Here to Stay. Welcome back to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM. We've come to the next clue for our quiz this morning. And this is a pretty big, pretty good clue. Jeremiah was the author. So Jeremiah was the author of this book. If you know which book this is, think about all the other clues we've had. If you know what the answer is, you can give us a call at one 800 324 843, that's 1-800-FAITH-FM, or you can send us a text at 0491-064-669. And if you're the first person with the correct answer this morning, you will be receiving uh, for a prize The Incredible Power of Prayer by Roger Mornow. Okay, so Luke 24, verse 36 to 45 is the passage we're looking at. A quick reminder this Saturday morning, do join us, Matt Parra and myself. Between 9.30 and 10.30, we're going to be doing small group Bible study for you right here, with you, I should say, right here. Uh, you can join in by calling up, and of course, you can call up right now as well on that number, 1-800-324-843, or text us on 491 and of course, I think this is probably the biggest and most dangerous presupposition that is found anywhere in the Bible. We were also talking about the great disappointment, not of AD 31, but of also of 1844. And what I find fascinating is some of the parallels between the two. Because the great disappointment in AD 31 was solved when you had two disciples, two followers of Jesus, who left a meeting of disappointed disciples to travel home and Jesus revealed himself to them and explained the story to them. Uh, You remember reading about that one there, uh, Liam? I do indeed. Okay, when you come to the great disappointment of 1844, you have exactly the same event taking place where you have Hiram Edson and his friend. They are leaving a group of disappointed disciples and walking home after the disappointment has taken place and Jesus reveals himself to them and this time explains not the daily service of the sanctuary but the yearly service of the sanctuary. And, of course, you've got both of these events right here, uh, direct par- parallels of each other because, once again, we talked about this last week, God has a method. And when God has a method that works, God continues to work his method. He does indeed. One of the reasons that he allows disappointments like this is to sweep away the chaff and the dross. That's kind of old English. It is. The dust. It suits your KJV, doesn't it? It does. I love it. (laughs) Just loving it right there. And so it allows God to be able to create, to first create a stir to get people to catch people's attention, to get their minds focused on something. And so he creates a stir with the triumphal entry. People's attention is focused on him as the Messiah. Then he allows a disappointment to come so that all of the weak elements, the hangers-oners are just swept away because they kind of shrug their shoulders and go like, oh, well, that didn't happen. Um, And now you've got a foundation of the disciples and, you know, those who gather together in the upper room who are the true believers that you can build a solid church on. And you've got exactly the same thing happening in both events. You know, if the if you know the truth of the judgment taking place in heaven beginning in eighteen forty four had been discovered by William Miller, you know, back in the eighteen hundreds, who of course was a Baptist preacher uh, and if he had discovered that, yes, October 22, 1844, the judgment will begin in heaven and began to preach that, it probably would never have gained any more traction other than a little bit of interest in his local church. 
But because he preached that Jesus was coming to this earth on that day, it gained worldwide traction. And it spread across the entire globe. And then, of course, when the disappointment came, enough light had been shone onto that particular prophecy to highlight that particular prophecy that a whole movement was born. And you've got exactly the same thing taking place in AD 31 when Jesus is resurrected from the dead. You've got so much light being shone onto the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 53, for instance, about the suffering, dying, sacrificing, substitutionary Messiah, that suddenly a whole new new movement is born, which would not have happened if Jesus had not, you know, um, allowed that mistake to take place. Okay, so we all come with presuppositions. It's unavoidable. So because it is unavoidable and those presuppositions are going to flavor our view of the Word of God, and, and this is something I find fascinating because you know, recently I was talking to somebody who wrote a book on, the, on a commentary on Revelation, and he said, okay, this is what I decided to do. I decided to sit down and to read the book of Revelation from the standpoint of somebody who's never read it before and to write a book based on no presuppositions. So just simply ask the question, what does the text say without any presuppositions. And I'm like, well, what a joke. You know, you're actually you're actually describing the impossible right here. That's something that is never going to happen. You know, we simply need to recognize that we all have presuppositions and work with those presuppositions to discover truth that is in the Bible. Okay, because we all have presuppositions, is it then impossible for us to find truth? No. I think we can. Okay. Um, John chapter 16, verse 13. John 16. And, and how, how, how do you think that we can find truth if we all have presuppositions that are going to cloud the truth from our minds? Well, when you look up into the sky and you see the clouds, even when the... And you try and see the sun, even when a cloud is in front of the sun, can you still see the sun? Yes. The light still shines through the clouds. Very good illustration right there. Very good illustration. Just thought All right. John chapter 16 and verse 13. He's quick on his feet this morning. All right. Here we go. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. Okay. So does the Bible say that God will teach us the truth in this passage. Yes. In fact, this is a really important passage. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go through this passage because it, it relates to our question of the day. Because what I want you to notice in this passage is the very personal language that God gives to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit here is not referred to as an impersonal force of God, but rather as a specific Individual, Indeed. And Jesus emphasizes it. And you might wonder, why does Jesus emphasize this particular point? The answer is quite simple. Throughout the Bible, there are many, many places where the Holy Spirit is spoken of in an impersonal way. And because there are many places in the Bible that speak about the Holy Spirit in an impersonal way, as Christians, we generally copy that and talk about the Holy Spirit in an impersonal way. But that does not mean that the Holy Spirit is impersonal in any way, shape, or form, that the Holy Spirit is not a person, not the third person of the Godhead. 
And I believe that one of the reasons why Jesus gave us this statement right here, this verse right here, was because he recognized that there would be some people who would be like, yeah, you know what, there are so many references to an impersonal Holy Spirit. Maybe it's just, you know, the, the force and the character and, the, um, and, 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 and such of God, the Father or the Son. And that's not actually the case. Jesus is like, no, let me clear that up for you. Let me, let me show you that Jesus, that the Holy Spirit is actually a person. And so it says, when he, that is the personal pronoun right here. Let's count them. When he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of him, himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. He will show you things to come. He will glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. That's nine times in that uh, passage right there that the Holy Spirit is referred to as a person and not an impersonal force or you know part of the nature of God. It's a separate person. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the You're speaking truth to power, you are laying down our swords, replanting every vineyard till a brand new wine is poured. Your peace will make us one. I've seen you.
our team here at Faith FM want to encourage you to be the hands and feet of Jesus in your community, to stay positive and to stay connected in this virus season. Keep in touch with vulnerable members of your community like grandparents or new mothers and see if there's something you can do to help them with simple things like picking up some groceries, collecting the mail or dropping off some meals. Little things like this make a huge difference to someone living in isolation or quarantine. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Are drugs or alcohol a problem in your life? Alcohol Drugs Assist, or ADA, is a 12-step recovery program designed to help you escape the hold of addictions in a friendly and judgment-free environment. ADA meets regularly, and if you'd like to attend, give Peter a call or text on 0487 907 879. That's 0487 907 879. Save 
back that was caitlin clambet with love lifted me we have come time for question of the day so Indeed we have so the question today it's a very broad question and we hope we can uh, expand on it a little bit the question today is what is the spirit that is god okay so what is the holy spirit it's a very uh it's not an uncommon question and the person who's asking this question wants to know you know is this uh manifestation of the of that dimension of god that incorporates his power inspiration presence is it more is it also the character of god is it his nature which is love and demonstrated to us in his interaction with us and the great news this morning is that the holy spirit is so much more than even all of that as we noted before we went to the break the bible says that the holy spirit is a person in fact the very distinct third person of the godhead uh, so the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we read in John chapter 16, the personal pronouns, Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of himself, but whatsoever things he shall hear, that shall he speak. He will show you things to come. He will glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and will show it unto you. The word he there is used nine times, and you do not use the word he in reference to an impersonal force that is a part of somebody, you use it to refer to somebody, a person. The Holy Spirit is a distinct person. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 48 and verse 16, the Bible says, And now the Lord God and his Spirit has sent me. So notice here that the Holy Spirit is a separate person to the Father. Isaiah has been sent by the Father and by his spirit two distinct people that are being people that are being spoken of right here and of course the holy spirit in the bible has all of the attributes many passages here we could look at all of the attributes of personhood rather than being you know a part of uh, somebody it's he is a distinct person uh, ephesians chapter 3 and verse 30 the bible says uh, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of rem- redemption. And so the Bible says that you can grieve or per- cause the, pers- the person of the Holy Spirit to grieve. Grief is something that a person experiences. It's not saying here, do not grieve God. It's not saying, do not grieve Jesus. It's not saying, do not grieve the Father. It's saying, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. 
And it could have said any of those things, but it specifically highlights the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 5, verse 3 and 4, But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Peter here is talking about Ananias not lying to the Father, not lying to Jesus Christ, but lying to the Holy Spirit. You don't lie to an impersonal force or a nature or a character. You lie to a person. Um, This is very important here uh, to understand. Then in Isaiah chapter 63 and verse 10, the Bible says, But they rebelled. And they frustrated or vexed, frustrated his Holy Spirit. Therefore, he was turned to be their enemy and he fought against them. And so once again, we have an aspect of personhood right here. You don't frustrate you know, a certain aspect of somebody. You frustrate a person. And the Bible is not talking about them frustrating the Father. The Bible is not talking about them frustrating the Son. The Bible here is referring to them frustrating the Holy Spirit. Uh, Once again, we could go from verse to verse to verse to verse through the Bible on this one. But Ezekiel chapter 11 and verse 5, the Bible says, And the Spirit of the Lord fell upon me and said unto me, Speak, thus says the Lord. Thus have you said, O house of Israel, for I know the things that come into your mind, every one of them. Notice here that the Bible says the Spirit of the Lord, in other words, the Holy Spirit fell on me and said... And so here he is listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. It is not the Father that is speaking to him. We have many references in the Bible where the Father, well, a few references in the Bible where the Father speaks. We have many references where the Son speaks, but there are also a bunch of references where the Holy Spirit speaks. And right here you have the Holy Spirit that is speaking. It does not say the Father is speaking. It does not say that the Son is speaking. It could have said any of those things, but no, it says that the Holy Spirit is speaking. And so the Holy Spirit is the mighty third person of the Godhead. That's why when you go back to Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says, Let us make man in our image. Who is us? Who is our? That's plural. That is not singular. And this is why the Bible speaks about three persons of the Godhead. And some people ask me, well, how can you have three but still be a monotheist? Well, the answer is very simple, and it describes it right there in Genesis chapter 2, where the Bible says that we were made in the image of God and being made in the image of God. The Bible speaks about marriage where two shall become one, perfectly united together in thought, in deed, in action, to the point that they are seen and described as being one. The marriage relationship is an illustration of the Godhead that is one God. You listen to Faith FM. This is Lauren Daigle with Light of the World. Can you hear the angel? 
drought breaks with the tears of a mother. The baby's cry is the sound of love. Come down, come down, Emmanuel. Oh, he is the song for the suffering. He is Messiah, the Prince of Peace has come. Back, guys. You're listening to Lauren Daigle with Light of the World. We've had an, had an answer for our quiz. We did indeed. Uh, well done to Fred, who correctly answered Lamentations. That was the book. Uh, that, that, was, that was yeah. That was the book that uh, we were trying to find this morning. We uh, we also had a caller in who, uh, who was just uh, inquiring about how to listen to the show, to the breakfast show and Faith FM in Sydney. And it's not just Sydney, uh, but it's also all around Australia where we don't have uh, towers to get to. The way that you listen to Faith FM, if you don't, if it, if you can't find it on the radio, is there are two ways. You can either download the app, go to the App Store and search Faith FM Australia. It's the, it's got a white background with a red squiggly line and download that and press play. You can listen to it there or you can go online to faithfm.com.au and you can press play there and you'll be able to listen to the, uh, to the breakfast show and all of the Faith FM programs live and free. 
and you'll be able to get involved as much as you like. So that's how you listen to it if you can't find it on the radio. Indeed, that's exactly how it takes place. And of course, we like to encourage everybody to study the Bible. If you would like to do my Bible study course, that's available through the Discovery Center. And they've got a whole bunch of new courses down there that are available. We can connect you with them and you can do their Bible studies online or via mail during the coronavirus lockdown. They've just been absolutely going nuts down there since uh, the lockdown began. So good to see lots of people studying their Bible at this time. You can give us a call on 1-800-324-843. But right now, don't forget to talk faith, live faith, act faith, and you will grow strong in Jesus Christ. God be with you till we meet again. in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 5. You're listening to Faith FM. Jesus scatters the seeds of his kingdom Far and wide he announces new birth By the Lord of and making new every inch of the groaning like the smallest of seeds in the winter is the kingdom of God as it's sown but the powers of Shall against it fail when the kingdom of God is grown? Oh, we 
Kingdom of God is 